Welcome to the Emerging Human, where we explore optimizing health and body spirituality and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Ostrank, a therapist, coach, and educator, and I'm your host. Today's show is brought to you by Cosper Scafidi, an amazing body worker in the Northern Virginia area, who has integrated different somatic practices into his work, including Rolfing. You can learn more about his work at CosperScafidi.com. Today's guest is Christos Galanis, who is an interdisciplinary artist and human geographer who has spent the past 15 years or so tracking and making visible the various spells through which colonialism, human supremacy, and narcissism inhabit and inhibit relationships, both individually and culturally. His currently launched business, Kairos, which we'll be discussing today, helps clients integrate more meaning and beauty into their lives through individualized ceremonies and rituals. In addition to his academic publishing, lecturing, and ethnographic field work, he also brings years of experience teaching workshops on walking, play, performance, kink, and eco-sexuality. A practicing animist, he is a graduate of Stephen Jenkinson's Orphan Wisdom School and is completing a PhD from the University of Edinburgh. Hello, Christos. Morning, Michael. Good to be with you. That was just Mosey, the dog that I'm house sitting coming in. I don't know if the audience heard Aww. that. <laughs> That's He's awesome. Us. Dogs allowed, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, you know, I invited you for, for these purposes to just talk about the work that you do, helping people make sacred moments in their lives, ceremonies, rituals, rites of passages which is so needed. And, and unfortunately, I don't see much of in the world, especially here in the States. So I wanna, I wanna hear like more about what you do and what you offer to people, but what is, what is it in your life that kind of led you on this path to, to see the sacredness of everyday life, the importance of certain events in people's lives to, to see, look out your window and just be in awe of life around you? Yeah, I guess it's almost like there's two tracks going on with me. One is literally like a academic study of reality and history kind of um, trying to figure out where we are and how we got here. And so I think, as you mentioned my, in the intro, I'm trying to finish up. I'm writing up a PhD out of the University of Edinburgh. And um, I ended up kind of doing a study of the history of Western culture, you know, going back to pre-Christian days and trying to figure out almost like the politics of reality, the politics of how we understand what exists and doesn't exist. And through that, it's become apparent to me that it's there's been a long-term kind of political, I don't want to say battle, agenda to have us believe that I'd say we're all alone and humans are the only you know, beings with full consciousness. And once you really look at the history that you can really see the history of almost like terrorism um, against let's say pagan peoples, you know, all around the world. And I would say around animists, against animists, people that believe that all, all beings have spirit, all beings have agency. So in that way, it was a very rational kind of logical study of our history. And on the other side, I mean, it's just comes down to in my early twenties. I had, you know, what some people might describe as a nervous breakdown. I had two years of really, really rough time, you know, couldn't get out of bed. 
And up to that point, I was a, a hardcore atheist. I was dressed all in black for years and years, total goth, hated, you know, I, I associated spirituality with religion, with the church. I didn't have any experience of anything other than the Greek Orthodox church that I grew up in, in the Catholic school I went to for high school. And then there was one night I was reading, oh man, I think it's the holographic universe. Do you know that? I forget the author's name. It's the idea yeah, the, of, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Quantum physicist kind of guy. Yeah. And I was reading that along with, you know, all kinds of other kind of things on quantum physics and things like that. And it was five in the morning, not that far from what time I woke up this morning. Um, and at that point, I mean, I, I was in a really rough spot in my life. And I remember reading this book and just as the first rays of the sun came out, it's almost like I became aware of this tape loop that had been going on in the background of my mind, my whole life. And it was asking the question, the question was, do you believe in God? And my automatic response was just, no. Do you believe in God? No. Do you believe in God? No. And it's almost like this track had been playing for about 22 or 23 years straight without really being aware of it. And then almost as gentle as just like a flower, you know, opening on the morning that it finally opens for the first time. Um, that tape loop became, do you believe in God? No. Do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe in God? Yes. And it was just literally that simple. There was nothing that I did. And right at that moment, the sun started streaming in, you know, in the morning, and I just started laughing and crying at the same time so deeply. And everything changed for me, and it was just becoming aware. And when I say God, I mean, at that point, I didn't have other words or ways to explain it, you know, what God means. I could go on for a while but now about what I would say, you know, the divine means to me. Um. But it was a moment of grace. I think I'd put it that way, you know? So it's like this track of like academic intense learning and research, but then at the same time, just this absolute moment of grace and something transforming in me without knowing that such a thing was possible. Take me on the path from uh, the moment of grace to launching Kairos, the path <laughs> to launch Kairos and want to help people along, the, along those lines. Yeah, so... Probably like you, you know, I've spent much of my life trying to, you know, understand myself, understand humanity, understand culture, trying to understand how, say how to live a good life and also how to <coughs> nourish life, nourish my community, nourish my relationships, right? Um, so I've looked into a lot of different things, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, I've done all the different, you know, everything but Christianity for a long time. Although I've even found lots of treasures in that tradition. Um, but again, it was kind of in response to another dark period a couple of years ago, where I um, ended up getting chronic Lyme disease and got quite, quite ill. And kind of hit a dark place where not much had any meaning anymore. I really didn't know why I was here. I had been very steeped in, you know, academia and very critical thinking, kind of looking at what was wrong with the world, describing it, you know, 
the way that you're trained to, for the most part, at least in the humanities and academia. And I'd say probably in the past year, part of it, you know, with your friendship and support, um, trying to figure out, all right, like, why am I actually here? What can I do that's perhaps different than, you know, writing more academic papers, pointing out things that are wrong in the world? Because there's a lot of that already, and I can do it well. But how do I put it? I mean, we'll talk about it more, what I'm launching, but I've always had this particular relationship with time that I've realized is probably a little bit different than most people in that I always kind of have a sense of many, many moving pieces and the way that they align and the way that they need to come together. And I can, I have, for whatever reason, the capacity to intuit like the appropriate time for things to happen, you know, whether that's an ending, whether that's the beginning of something, whether that's a transition, decently for my own life, but probably even better for other people's when I'm not involved, you know how that is. Um, it's a lot of murkiness when it's about your own life. Um, but it was the strong desire to give back, you know, give back to life, capital L life and to create beauty, which I think is actually very, I wouldn't say unique, but it's a fundamental capacity in humans and humanity, you know, to create beauty. Beauty is an offering. Beauty is an expression of awe and wonder for life. Beauty is giving thanks. You know, I mean, just if you ever just watch, you know, virtuoso musicians, for example, I mean, just there's really nothing else like that in the universe, you know, what we have the capacity for. And I think beyond just, you know, doing that myself as a longtime artist, it's a desire to bring that more into the world and to support other people who maybe, you know, haven't grown up with such traditions or capacities. And it, you know, I think anyone can do anything. Like there's so many ways to, to create beauty through ritual, through rites of passage. Let's, let's um, before you give some some examples, yeah. um, but, you know, of like how you might how people might come to you for certain ceremonies or rituals. I know you talk about time in two different ways. Kairos is the name of your project there, but can you talk? Yeah. Can you differentiate Kairos and the other type of time and why you chose Kairos? Sure. Yeah. So, so I grew up speaking Greek. I'm, both my parents are from Greece. I grew up in Toronto, Canada. Um, hated being Greek, hated having to go to Greek school all my childhood, you know, but eventually by my twenties kind of found my own way. Cause it's, it's a very, I don't know, something about diasporic cultures, you know, that their desire to kind of hold on to tradition makes it very sclerotic and it's, it's very hard to, uh, to evolve, I would say. Um, but now I'm great and deeply thankful that I, you know, speak Greek and learn Greek. And, and so in Greek, we have actually three different um, words for time or concepts of time. The first is chronos or, yeah, C-H-R-O-N-S, N-O-S, um, which I would describe as linear time, you know, like the time of making appointments for meetings and things like that, the days of the week, you know, the time that most of us pretty much have to operate in in order to, to 
function. Then there's also Aeon, A-I-O-N, which would translate as eternal, eternal time or eternity mm. time. And then there's Keros or Kairos, depending how you want to pronounce it. And that's translated as the appropriate time, or I would say ceremonial time. And that's the sense of time, for example, when you and your partner are you know, to living together for several years and you're feeling into when it might feel appropriate to get married or to have a child. And that feeling, which, you know, I don't know how other people experience it, but there's something seems to me about like things aligning in a way. Mm-hmm. And then you just know, right? You can't go back. Like, it's just, okay, something happens. So that would be Keros. You know, it's like mm-hmm. when, when things align in the appropriate way, when I say appropriate, my sense is like when things are alignment with capital L life itself. You yeah. know, and I think we, we can feel when we're kind of, you know, closer to being in that balance versus when we're more out, way out there. And yeah. my, could I just finish just on, on that sense of Kiros? Please. Different. and we have lost that for the most part and i i almost feel like it makes us insane um to be stuck in linear time all the time so when i say like i use time as medicine or temporality as medicine it's that concept it's like returning us not even returning us but shifting us back into a sense of time that's more about being in alignment with all the systems, you know, rather than just the calendar or, or the clock, which, you know, are, are human constructs, which are fine, but so um, it's not I, the same I, w- thing. I would imagine like synchronicities kind of fit well with what you're talking about in terms of the alignment, universal Absolutely. alignments for the multiversal lines in certain ways. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, you know, I think people more or less tend to take really big cues from synchronicities, right? You know, all of a sudden something shows up three times at the same time in a week and you're like, oh, shit, I need to, I need to be looking at that, right? So that's the idea of like timing, right? Because there's not, that's not on the calendar. It's not saying like, you know, become a Buddhist when you're 27 years old, you know, like that's, it's alignments and things like that. And I don't think we understand time very well. You know, we don't, almost like we don't study it. We don't think about it. We don't talk about it. And I never thought there was, um, anything unusual about my experience of it until, you know, I started getting older and studying, let's say other cultures, especially, and realizing, oh, like I have this relationship with time that um, is not that usual in this culture. So is it, as we apply that way of being in the world with time, is it when you do your Kairos work, is that you help uh, individuals or couples or families both feel into the right timing to do a recognized transition or a ceremony for something going on in their life or ritual. And then what, what that actually looks like, like, Oh, here's a, the, like, here's all the possibilities it collapses it into this moment. Like, and how do we create the, the ceremony around it? Is that kind of what you do do? Yeah, I think there's, so it's almost like if you have to imagine it, there's one context where it's like, initiating things right like catalyzing things beginning things so that might be 
you know, is it time to leave my job or career and launch this, this thing that I've dreamed of, right? And how do you know it's time? And once you know it's time, other than, you know, talking to your boss and resigning and then making a website, like that's the practical, again, almost like the linear part of it. But how do you inhabit that, you know, that transition, that transformation? Um, and to me, that's through, again, ceremony or ritual, some way that you use, you know, physical materials in your space and the environment to make a representation of the alignment, right, of what's happening, mm. things. And so that what's, you know, reflected through the materials you're using is, it's not quite a metaphor because it's a direct relationship, but is a, is a tool to, to manipulate and not manipulate in a negative way, but to manipulate these energies, right? These forces, these histories. The other way I think of it is the context is, let's say something has happened in the past. Um, you know, for example, I've worked with clients who let's say had like an abortion many, many years ago and didn't really do anything to market or, you know, in any kind of ritualized way, or you've had a separation, let's say a divorce years ago, and there's a lot of acrimony and you never really marked it. So in that way, it's almost like catching up with what actually yeah. has happened so that it can be processed so that it can be marked so that it can be almost like put back in alignment with, with life. Yeah, I mean, the way I'm almost visualizing it is like in the time sense, it's like you you are given people the opportunity to slow down, retrospect in a really deep contemplative way and kind of bookmark that time in their lives. I mean, that, right. but I don't like divorce or, you know, whatever these different things are, I don't hear anyone doing these kind of things. I mean, you might have the rite of passage when you're Jewish and the bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah, or, or if right. you're a Christian, you might have the the um, baptism. But like, yep. these huge transitions: divorce, new job, leaving an old job, starting up being an entrepreneur, death of a family member, death of a pet. Like, we don't usually maybe the humans we do, but the death of humans, but we don't really we really slow down enough to really be with what is arising at the time or present day. And I think it's true. I think we live, we live at a breakneck speed at this point. Yeah. I mean, and we seem to just be speeding up. And so certainly part of this is not just to slow down, but to almost like to find the missing puzzle pieces, right. To be able to, to put things in a back in a coherent way that again, feels in alignment. I love the word abiding, you know, like the idea of living your life abiding by, let's say, the rhythms of life. And the other piece that we haven't mentioned so far is that a lot of my work, I encourage people to organize gatherings for almost anything that they're going to do, right? So the idea of being witness, the idea of community, the idea of having others <laughs> share stories, right? Um, if you're going to quit your safe career job and go and launch your thing you know what about the idea of organizing even a zoom gathering with a bunch of friends and having each person going around and sharing the time that they made a you know a huge jump and took a risk and you know and it worked out so that there's that way that again when i say alignment like these stories almost cohere into 
a momentum, you know, and you, you feel that support and you feel that sameness with other people, you know, who've done that rather than I'm leaving my career, I'm going to do this, you know, ceremony in my bedroom at night. So there's also the power of the collective and the community that, you know, again, most things have been done in community, you know, these, this kind of work, you don't have a rite of passage by yourself. Yeah. It sounds like the community offers both witness, but also support and some degree of accountability, depending on what the ritual rite of passage might be. And then I agree. And then what I'm realizing now is also there's something about modeling, right? These things, because everyone you invite might not themselves have taken part in something like this. So there's mm-hmm. also the, almost the medicine of witnessing others doing this kinds of things. So it becomes more normalized. And so, especially for children, you know, we haven't talked about that, but, you know, raising children in a way where they're exposed to ceremony, ritual and rites of passage, where they think it's, you know, normal. And of course, children are born with, with this capacity, you know, all around the world. If you've ever spent time with a child, um, they love this stuff, you know, and, and this is not what we do do in school you know we don't learn the technologies of ceremony and ritual and how to properly mark you know significant I mean we have things like graduation which I just watched my niece's graduation over zoom from Connecticut and oh my god the most boring thing I've sat through really long like there's no there's no soul to it you know what I mean I mean no offense I know they're trying the best they can but um, these are big moments, you know, finishing yeah. elementary school, finishing high school, finishing college. And it might need to look different for different people, right? I think there's obviously, you know, you do the commencement ceremony with the whole group, with everyone in your cohort. But for you, something about bringing your family, your friends together, marking this, you know. So it's almost like it feels like a, a clean, like a, like a maintenance, you know. Mm. It's almost that kind of sense. It's like a, it's like a cleaning feeling to me where you kind of like things get put in their proper place and that allows you to, you know, then do all the other new exciting things in your life. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. almost like being able to file things away in their proper place and time in a way. Well, I can imagine just energetically, if you're not spending your time even unconsciously processing things, wondering, wondering, fearful, whatever they are, um, because you've done it consciously with someone like you, you've processed the whole thing, you've bookmarked it, you've learned your lessons, whatever it happens to be. I, I can imagine that you have a lot more energy for other areas of your life, anyways, because of that. Yeah, yeah, I can share one of my significant um rites of passage that I did several years ago. So, when I was Please. a teenager, my first cousin in Greece, my father's nephew, um, died in a very tragic car accident. He was in his early twenties. And so in Greek culture, we have the belief that if someone dies in like a, in a tragic way or some way that doesn't allow them to, to transition, to completely move on from this plane of existence, that they'll kind of attach themselves to, to people that they're close to or people that wow. have a lot of, they say like light in them. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really conscious of it, but I do remember that I found out the day he died, something kind of happened. And looking back, like I understand that he connected to me. We have the same name. His name is Christos as well. Mm. Um, and he had stayed with us in our house in Toronto when I was younger. So we had this connection. He was a musician. He's the first one that taught me how to play guitar. 
And so I went another almost 20 years, really kind of almost carrying him with me. And at some point I was actually here in Santa Fe working with, uh, with a friend and elder medicine man. And yeah, we were up late one night and, and um, the room went really cold. And all of a sudden he was like, there's like, there's someone else here. I'm not sure you know, who it is. And just as soon as I said that, I was like, I think it's my cousin. And he said, yeah. And he said, you know, he hasn't transitioned. And he said, you need to go walk the Camino de Santiago, the pilgrimage, Catholic pilgrimage in Spain. Um, and to release his spirit at the end of the pilgrimage, which is actually like the Atlantic Ocean, the end of the world. It's um, Finisterre, like end of end of land, basically, because before Columbus, they understood that this was literally the edge of the world, right? And so, long story short, I ended up flying into Portugal and Porto and doing the Portuguese route um, after going to Greece and getting a t-shirt of my cousins from when he was younger and wearing that every morning. And for 15 days, I walked this pilgrimage, talking with him every morning, especially, you know, just really being with him, but also making clear that like this, you know, this transition needs to happen, right? I can't keep carrying him in this way. And it was, you know, we can go on. There was an incredibly beautiful experience. I got to the edge of the ocean. I burned his shirt. I released his spirit. But wow. what I didn't expect was that for 15 days of, you know, walking eight, nine hours a day, it was incredibly, incredibly boring. Like, I just remember being like, oh, my God, this is this is really boring. But the fact that I had nothing to do other than eat, sleep, shit, and walk, basically, um, what happened was all these memories were bubbling mm. up. I mean, like random conversations from when I was 10 years old that has no significance, just like, you know, an encounter in the mall when I was 14, songs from kindergarten that I hadn't thought of in 30 years. And it almost felt like just taking all these like documents from my life and filing them away, you know, in their proper sequence, in their proper place. Um, and it really freed up an incredible amount of mental energy and almost like memory space, right? Because now those things have been filed away and now I could actually remember more things, you know? So, go ahead. You're, you're obviously open to the, uh, the, the transpersonal, just using the, the example you just gave for sure. Um, and I'm wondering, are, are there spiritual practices that you do do or have done over the period of time that allow you to kind of stay open to these channels, this information, to, so you can download what, what might be the best thing in conversation with a client or a ceremony or ritual or whatever? Like just for my own life, for myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I mentioned the pilgrimage and actually my, my thing is walking. It has been for a long time. Um, whenever I, not whenever, but oftentimes when I need to make a decision, when I need to really ruminate on something, I go for a walk. And when I have a <clears> daily walking practice in my life, it's also that, you know, it's obviously much smaller than, you know, walking 15 days straight. But I go for walks. It connects me to where I am in the world, right? Because I've, I've also moved around and travel a lot. And so as soon as I land somewhere, I go, go for a walk. And that feels like just that slow process of grounding into a place. 
Nice. I get to see the culture right around me, wherever I am, even from neighborhood to neighborhood, as you know, cities are different, right? You know, like one city is not uniformly the same everywhere. Um, and my experience is that when I walk, oftentimes I just channel things. I don't know how to put it like thing, like knowledge just appears, you know, in my consciousness and it's not mediated through through trees or, you know, spirits or anything like that. It's like, it's almost like a direct channel to mm-hmm. the cosmos. Um, and there's something about movement. You know, I remember years ago reading, I think it was the book Wanderlust by Rebecca Solnit. And she describes, mm-hmm. it was somewhere in like Siberia, the Arctic, one of the, you know, far Northern tribal peoples. And they have this practice where when they become like, like white hot angry like there's just like uncontrollable anger um they'll grab two big sticks stick one in the ground wherever they are and then just start walking and it might be hours might be days but they keep walking and walking until the moment and this is right like kiros the kirotic moment right the, the appropriate time until the moment when they feel that the anger has finally dissipated and has now been transmutated into the earth and then they'll stick the other stick into the ground and i just remember being moved by that idea of like if you could you know see these two sticks it's almost like that's the measure of your anger you know that's that's the amount of time and place and energy it took to move through this experience to be able to process it to be able to um integrate it right so there's so for me there's an a big importance to movement i have tried to be a good meditator (laughs) i'm really horrible at sitting still right like it's i know it can be good for me but for me there's it's almost like more efficient to move Mm -hmm. and that could be a whole other conversation but i think there's something important about dancing and music and singing you know and pilgrimage and these things and something about making it imprinted in the body um, it's a different technology, you know, I I'm not putting down meditation or you yeah, know, yeah, sitting yeah. quiet, or sitting yeah. still. Um, but that's, that's my thing. That's what I'm attracted to. And I'm always happy to encourage people to, to include movement, you know, in whatever they're doing. I love that. That's great. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan as well. Um, now, when you have clients come to you, walk me through, like, let's walk through two different clients. One who wants to work with you retrospectively. Oh, I did not spend time processing my divorce or the death of a spouse or whatever it happens to be and give me one example walking through prospectively like i know this is going to be happening in the future i want to create a ceremony or ritual around it yeah do you mind if i bring up like what you shared with me once about the the dog dish with your dogs sure yeah do you want to give the context if that's if that's okay oh like that (laughs) i was not around around that yeah, so um, after Cleona the bulldog passed away, transitioned to be with God, there's, we had dishes for her and we had dishes for Joshua, our other dog. And for months, I was a nut and I would not let us use Cleona the bulldog's dishes for Joshua. It's just like I kept them separate, kept them separate. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like I thought really thought, thought through it in any depth. It was like I just felt really uncomfortable with the thought of doing that. That's the background. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we haven't worked together in that way, but you know, if that was, for example, a case um, that we wanted to, to work through, 
I, when you shared that with me a few weeks ago, I was really moved as I, you know, as I responded to you, because there's something really significant about that intelligence, right? That is like, on the one hand, you can be like rationally, you can be like, you know, again, almost linear time, be like, oh, it's just a freaking, you know, dog dish. But like, there's this other intelligence that's saying like, it's not time yet, right? Like, I'm not ready to like, I'm not ready to move on. And so, you know, initially, it would be a conversation or conversations and really supporting the person to touch into that intelligence that you're talking about, right? Because it sounds like even like for you, there's there can be almost like, a oh, you know, what am I doing like this, you know, it's just a dog dish, and we can kind of try to rationalize or dismiss that instinct, that intelligence, right, which I would say is Kiros. Um, and to tune into that. And one thing that's important to me is, you know, I lived in the UK for years, and I, I think it was there that I learned the word bespoke, and I don't think it's used over here in America very much. So bespoke is like, it's unique. It's like it's tailor made. It's made just, you know, just for you for something. And so for me, it's not that I'm like prescribing, you know, okay, here, Michael, you know, do this, this and this. It's like, how do I support you to tune into that intelligence? And I think from that intelligence, there's always an incredible sense of creativity that's actually underlying it, right? And so once we start asking the right questions and talking about, you know, other things that are coming up, you know, for example, that might look like you need to gather friends, you know, people that knew Cleona and share the stories, share, you know, some of what you've shared with me of trips and things like that to be able to, even just as I'm saying this, I, I feel emotion around it because there's something, there's something about doing this with people, right? and being witnessed and having maybe other people get also share their stories of you know a dog that that died right and there's something about that way that things cohere that hopefully and it's not to say okay this is what's going to happen but something about being with not just the grief but the praising you know of that life of that relationship Mm -hmm. that then allows hopefully you know to be like okay i can I can, that's now in its appropriate place. And now I can be with, you know, my other dog in a full way. Right. And I'm not carrying this other thing that has now ended. Right. So it's something about recognizing the natural end of things, which again, man, in this culture, we're just not that great with, yeah. um, so whether that's, you know, any kind of loss, loss of career, divorce, loss of home, um, you can just, you know, loss of identity, you know, we were a lifelong progressive and now that just doesn't fit for us anymore. And now, you know, we need to mark the end of that. So there's something about properly closing things so that there's space and energy for whatever's next coming in. Right. So that would be the kind of looking back going forward. I remember when, um, my former partner and I were about to head out into the unknown, the middle of COVID in our, you know, our new Airstream trailer and uh, literally going to launch into just North America and not knowing where we we're going to land or what was going to be home. We had lost our home. Um, and some people that you and I mutually know organized the gathering again on Zoom for us. And we spent probably two hours people sharing 
their stories of taking a big risk, you know, whether it's a risk on a relationship, whether home, whether leaving a career or something, incredible amount of tears, all kinds of laughter. And it's just like, it gives you strength. There's something about, you know, having that. And then the next morning we got, you know, in our vehicle and, and drove away. And there's something that carried us, you know, that, that was with us. That's different from, I don't know, Facebook posts. People are like, you know, good luck, Christos. You, yeah, you know, yeah. there's something about people taking the time. And I will say that it seemed to me that everyone who attended that gathering got just as much as we did from that, right? So there's a way of like spreading out that experience so it's even more impactful and it's not only about you. Yeah, um, yeah I, love, I love how you weave in the community aspects of it. And I'm reminded of the very beginning of this conversation, you said, you know, the good, the true, the beautiful, where you said the beautiful and the, and the good. Uh, very Greek of you, of course. And, <laughs> uh, and I'm curious for you, like, how do you integrate into this work with people whether they're retrospective or prospective, the beauty. Well, it's almost like when you put it that way, I'm almost like, well, what, what is beauty, right? Like, what is it? We have this word for this thing. <clears throat> right now I'm here in New Mexico where we've had the worst forest fires in state history and it's been raining all week and everyone is just like, just so moved by just rain, right? Even right mm -hmm. now I can just hear it. And in this context, there's something so beautiful about, you know, the haziness and the mist. And part of it is just that I know that life is being nourished, right? So there's mm -hmm. something about observing life doing its thing so that life may continue. But what I'm actually thinking of when I say that it's a mystery is if anyone wants to, they can go on YouTube. And if you do a search for chimpanzee waterfall dance, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. Um, I believe that this Jane Goodall kind of comments on, it's a short, maybe like a four minute video. And it's a, this large male chimpanzee and he's being filmed and he's by himself near this, next to this waterfall in this little pool of water. And this has been observed, you know, several times in the wild and he's gesticulating he's like slapping at the water he's dancing around he's spinning he's screaming right he's jumping up and down he's like putting his head in his hands into the waterfall and back and he's just like for many minutes he's just kind of doing all this stuff and then at the end of it he just literally sits and he just contemplates the waterfall and the argument made in the video which i agree with which is like this is the this is the roots of spirituality, right? This, this mm. predates humans and it's outside of just the human species. So my sense of beauty is that it's a, you're so moved and in awe at life itself that you can't contain it just in your body and you need to, you know, to get it out, to get it expressed in some way, not only to reflect it back, but because you can't, hold it all right i mean we know that feeling that's why like you know tears come out that's why you know like shouts whoops of joy come out when we're really really moved by something it's something mm -hmm. animal-like that i think is mm -hmm. you know, some level, probably shared by all beings in their own way right um and so for me beauty is it's almost <clears throat> like closing the loop you know we're given this 
majestical universe and then we're so moved by it that we need to gesticulate and do something to return that energy back you know so it's kind of like this this cycle of awe i would say you know i imagine people could be moved by your way of approaching life not just like oh let's let's do a ceremony around a loss or a new job you know around very particular events transitional events in one's life um but i could imagine too just listening to you you, you could you could almost reflect on your day-to-day -day life and begin to ritualize and ceremonialize activities of daily life. You don't have to wait till like a big event, transitional events. Just eating right. could be a ritual for for one. Absolutely, and that's one of the things that you know we can work with is not only like a one-time event, but like <clears throat> yeah, what what's going to be your morning your morning ritual every day, right? Your evening ritual or your you know, God, your ritual with your partner, with your children, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the domesticity with your, with your coworkers. I mean, I, I haven't yet, but I would love to work actually with businesses and organizations because it's just so powerful when you have some kind of, you know, shared ritual, you know, I think the closest thing we usually have is like, you know, the birthday cake and happy birthday for, yeah, for yeah. Kathy's, you know, 40th birthday, whatever kind of thing. And we've done it a million times. And it's sweet to acknowledge someone, but you know, I mean, there's just so much more we could be doing in this way, right? We could imagine if every quarterly report had something that was like, you know, remembering the mission of the company, right? And not critiquing or not saying, what do we do right or wrong? But just being like, we show up for work every day, you know, for whatever reason, you know, part of it is to get paid, but obviously it's not just, it's not just about the cash, right? To some degree we're consenting to being all together and working on this project together whatever it is you know whether it's two employees or 200 um and it also doesn't have to you know like you mentioned earlier about you know bar mitzvahs or baptisms and this is obviously what is the basis of religions for the most part right is these kinds of rituals and ceremonies <clears throat> but unfortunately they became universalized Right. And just kind of plopped, you know, everywhere you are at, I don't know, in Catholicism, is it 10 or 12 years old? I think is first communion, you know, these kinds of things. And it's powerful. I'm not, again, I'm not putting these down. Like at least it's something, but for many of us who don't practice, you know, a, a traditional faith and still need ritual and ceremony in our lives, um, we can create new things, you know, we can tap into historic things. Like there's, there's like the palette is endless almost, right? But the, the important is actually doing these things, integrating things into our lives. Because I, I think that's where meaning comes from. It seems to me, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the distinction between the three types of time and Kairos is the one that drives your work. And then that, you know, you bring in community toss or community is so important. So it's not just the individual. And you, I, I could imagine an individual might want to have a ritual or ceremony just with them. I'm sure that's fine. But I love the idea of like, oh, let's make this uh, a community because you other people can bear witness to you. You bear witness to them. And it's, it sounds, can be quite inspirational. Like, you know, I was moved by your story and I was moved by your story too. And you know, as you share the stories yeah. and, and develop the community. <clears throat> and I could imagine too, that there could be practices which could, could emerge 
from these community events that you at people bring into their daily life or their quarterly life too. Yeah, no, I think, um, I mean, I'd love this kind of work to spread, not just through what I'm doing, but, you know, just more and more. And I think it is, I think people are realizing, I forget the name of it, there's a, there's a big movement now that I came across when I was living in England of people that basically don't want the religion, but want the community, right? I, I presume there's something similar in Judaism and maybe even Islam, you know, where it's like, you want the songs, you want the community, you want the regularity, right? But you maybe don't necessarily, you can't believe in maybe the more supernatural um, presets of, of the faith, for example, right? Because, you know, for most of our ancestors, this was the root of life. This was the, the scaffolding, right? Of your entire, from, you know, from cradle to grave was structured around all, you know, not just coming of age rituals, but, you know, all these kinds of things. And this is what not only gives your life meaning, but also, again, places you in a community, places you in a place, right? Because all these things have to happen somewhere, right? And so, you know, I remember I had some friends gather for me for my 40th birthday in the Highlands of Scotland. And uh, we did a ceremony next to, it's a, again, a waterfall. And apparently this is a waterfall that back i don't know man 800 years back when christianity was first coming to the, the parts of scotland that was used for baptisms and it's been used for mm. baptisms maybe 800 years you know this beautiful spot and there was something significant for me about my 40th birthday and we gathered and, and i haven't been back to that spot since but like that place the rest of my life will have this incredible significance right mm -hmm. and beauty and that memory of, you know, the the six close friends that, you know, two of them flew over from Canada, for God's sake, nice. you know, like nice, that, nice, nice, it's yeah. a significant place in the world for me now, you know, and I think the more that we have places on the earth that we've inhabited in these meaningful ways, it's almost like the more that the earth becomes this place that's, you know, infused with significance and, and moments and, you know, whether it's a city or nature, like by doing, by using these technologies, I think like it creates places, it creates places that our soul is now connected to, as opposed to feeling like we're just kind of, you know, transiting through life without much of a connection to any particular place. I love that. I love the kind of eco perspective, not just, it's not just interpersonal between us and our tribe or us and ourselves, but also us and our ecology, ecology as well various natural systems and human, human systems. Right. And I'm just, I'm just saying that I'm thinking, oh, of course, like, you know, like significant trees. I remember living in, in Devon, England, um, near the Darting, <clears throat> about 800 years old. And there's a little cemetery and there's one massive yew tree, which, you know, must be at least a thousand years old, possibly wow. more that people just come to, right? You see little trinkets, little offerings all the time, you know, and the branches at the, at the root of the trunk. And, you know, think of it that way, like it's not just, yeah, it's not just the human realm, but like these places of significance, a lake, yeah. a river, right? A tree, mm -hmm. all these kinds of things, a mountain, you know? Mm -hmm. And so again, it's another way of also binding us to place and to these other beings that have significance and, 
you know, that's I think of baptism, right? Is, is it the River Jordan that originally was used? Like, I mean, there's I'm, something about I believe so, right? Right, like that play, like we still sing songs about, you know, yeah, the River yeah. Jordan, where people went for this, you know, rite of passage, just purification, this idea of being reborn and going into the depths of the water and reemerging. And it's an actual freaking river in the world that you can actually go visit, yeah. right? And people yeah. do. You know, that's why these places have such significance. Jerusalem, the temple, like these, these are places that have been reactivate it over and over and over and over for thousands of years right and they have this energy they have this power and you know these are these technologies and obviously they're they're meaningful to us otherwise we wouldn't be you know even fighting these wars over these places because right if a place is just a place and nothing really matters everything's just atoms you know floating around then we wouldn't react in this way to these places so right you know Despite all the tragedy there, there's something significant about how many times our ancestors have, you know, tapped into the into the chaotic, tapped into ceremony in these particular places that makes them stand out as places of power. Speaking of Kairos, where can people learn more about your offering, your website and your work? Yeah, so ChristosGalanis.com is my main website. And off of there, there's a page for Kiros. And uh, I have a mailing list on there. You can sign up, you can contact me directly, and we can work together. Um, I also just offer a 15-minute free consultation if people just want to, you know, check in and be like, you know, they can be like, you know, I had this divorce three years ago, but I'm not really sure if it's the time, mm. right? And so there's no pressure, no expectation. We can talk about it, and maybe you might realize... Mm, you know, I'm not ready yet. And that's, that's totally fine. And if not, that's okay too. you know, so, and also Facebook, I'm pretty active on there. That's the one social media platform I have. Again, just Christos Galenis and I share. Make sure to include the links to your website and to your Facebook. And uh, Christos, great to see you. Congratulations on the launch and uh, look forward to hearing the success of it. Because as you and I talked offline, you know, we unfortunately here in the West, especially in the United States, don't have rites of passage. We have very little ritual, very little ceremony. Um, most of it that we do have is very surface level stuff. So I, I'm hoping to hear soon that your message is spread and people are kind of waking up to the sacredness of everyday lives and transitions and stuff. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Michael. And thank you so much for your care and support with, uh, yeah. with me over the past you know year and a half or so working together and, uh, and your advice. And yeah, I will say that this... The seed from this, if you remember, came from that conversation. I remember at one point you asked me, how can animism kind of apply to, you know, to other people and help? And that kind of is what launched that, that little seed, that thread of like thinking about, okay, how can I, how can I do more than just teaching about animism? How can I actually, you know, implement this more into people's lives? So huge, huge gratitude to you for That's awesome. the right questions. That's awesome. Right, You're right. very welcome, Chris. Good to see you, buddy. Thank you. Bye-bye.